Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Drew Freeman and Alex Sullivan. Thanks, Ray. This is the Ray Wenderlich podcast. Welcome to episode five for season 10. This episode was recorded on Saturday, the 11th of April for release on the 22nd, 2020. This episode is sponsored by PBS. PBS is hiring a senior iOS engineer to work on their PBS video and PBS kids video apps. These apps educate, inspire, and entertain. If you're excited to deliver millions of streams to viewers like you, consider yourself a candidate. Engineers who are enthusiastic, collaborative, and lifelong learners do well on their teams. At PBS, a senior engineer makes decisions on the tech stack and lives with the consequences. They trailblaze a path through tricky bits of code for the sake of the product. They coordinate with other engineers on their product and communicate with teams of dependency projects. If you want to make the world a better place while working with the latest mobile technologies, email Bill at digitaljobs at pbs.org. That's digitaljobs at pbs.org. They're in Arlington, Virginia, but they are willing to consider remote work arrangements. And we thank PBS for sponsoring this episode of the Ray Wenderlich Podcast. Hi, I'm Alex Sullivan, here with my recently recatted co-host, Drew Freeman. Thanks, Alex. Our guest for this episode is Leah Marolt Sonnenschein. Leah is studying innovation design engineering at the Royal College of Art and Imperial College in London. She writes about iOS, UX, and UI, teaches iOS classes at GA, and volunteers for Girls Who Code. On this episode, Leah will teach us how to put Apple's new Swift UI framework into practice. Then Drew will talk about his mixed feelings over Dark Sky. Leah, welcome to the show. Hello. (laughs) Great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. I know we uh, are pulling you in the middle of a a weekend afternoon, so (laughs) uh, you're in London, right? Yes, yeah, no worries at all. It's great to be on the show. Thanks. Yeah, I admittedly, we are still in the middle of, of COVID shelter, so it's not like we were going <laughs> out and doing lots of things this weekend. Exactly. How are Prime you? Prime time for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, it should, we should do more podcasts now that we're stuck yeah. inside. <laughs> Squish them all into the hopefully limited shelter in place period. Exactly. I'm actually like working with a friend of mine to maybe kickstart a podcast in Slovenian. Ooh, um, cool. Yeah, I know. So working um, on that. So how many languages do you speak? Um, I, well, <laughs> depending on the level of fluency, I guess like I would say I'm fluent in English, Slovenian, Croatian. Um, and then I can speak German, Italian, Spanish. Okay, enough. So, so all of them. You can just say all well, of them. I'm, I'm, I'm very bad with all, all the like Eastern, East Asian languages, like none of those, or African. Like I know a little bit of Swahili, but that's just because we were in Kenya for my master's program for a little bit and kind of had to figure out how to say something. You see, and here we see the difference between people on the Western continents and the Eastern continents is... <laughs> We tend to have uh, good fluency in English. Barely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm from Slovenia, which is a country of two million people. Um, so if you speak just Slovenian, you're not really going to be able to communicate with most of the world. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Admittedly, it's I... kind of a necessity. I have English, French, uh, a little bit of Japanese. Oh, nice. Yeah, Japanese is very I barely different. got English. 
But that's why we have Alex on the show as a co-host, so we can teach him more English. Right. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. We make ourselves feel better. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm around most rooms, really. So how long have you been in London, then? I've been in London for almost two years now. I moved in 2018 from New York um, for doing my master's in innovation design and engineering. Okay. And, you, and so you were living in the States for a while as well? Yeah, I lived in the States for about eight years. Um, I went to college there and then I worked for um, a company called Rents the Runway in New York for three years. Mm-hmm. And then I got kind of bored and I was like, oh, well, let's do some other stuff. <laughs> Which one of them is you volunteer for Girls Who Code. Yeah, well, actually, I did that while I was in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, already I was um, helping out a high school in Brooklyn um, to develop this like club uh, for... Technically, it was sponsored by Girls Who Code, but we also had two boys in it because <laughs> they were <laughs> inclusive and welcoming. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. I'm really glad to see all the efforts that are being put in to get more women in engineering. It's uh, it's been so horribly a male dominated field, and uh, my female colleagues that I have worked with have usually more than excelled over my talents as well. So you know, it's it's, it's good to have them. We've Alex is actually our first male co-host since I've oh. taken over the show. This is our our fourth season. So, wow. but I am so glad to to see all the efforts that that start on the the junior high and high school levels for that. Yeah, same. I was actually helping out with um, there was like a robo gals um, at my current schools um, where you kind of like build these um, Lego robots, sumo bots, and then they fight each cool. other. Oh, um, that's awesome. <laughs> So you try to like push each other out of the ring uh, and the kids build them and like put a bunch of weird stuff on them. Um, but yeah, it's quite a cool one as well. Lego Robo Sumo. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's the future right there. That's the future. Now, exactly. Now we spoke before the show that you're, you're sort of taking a, a little break from your master's study right now. So what are you doing to, 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 to make up with time or what are you doing to fill time? Yeah, so with all this COVID stuff, things have been a little confusing recently because my my program is a very hands-on program. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in the final year where basically we spend the last two semesters working on this solo project. And um, I was working on a project helping blind musicians learn how to play music and integrate oh, with sighted amazing. groups. Yeah, so, but it's a, the problem is that um, it's a lot of like physical prototyping and user testing, and like you have to be in the room to see what's happening and how they're like dealing with all the things that you're trying to prototype with them, <laughs> which is impossible at this moment. So I could have kind of, you know, like made a speculative thesis report or whatever for the next two months, but I thought they offered us a leave of absence with no um, repercussions for up to a year. So I thought it might be better to kind of do that since I've like so far, I feel like I've made like a very good network of both blind musicians and like people who are interested in doing this research and some professors. And I'm just kind of like not really ready to just kind of abandon it and let it go because I feel like the boss finally started rolling. Um, so that's kind of why I decided to take a leave of absence instead of just, you know, pushing something out to be done with it. Um, so instead, I'm currently, like, I'm 
debating a little bit, but currently um, thinking about taking a role as an iOS developer slash product manager uh, at a company in Slovenia that does, um, uh, they currently have an app for language therapy for kids that are oh, cool. younger, like from one to eight years old, where they basically like, it's kind of like Snapchat, where you like <laughs> see other people doing stuff and sounds, and then you make those sounds. And if you do them right, you get like little like face avatars and stuff. And so kids really like it and like collecting it. Um, and they're working on this new product now. So we've been talking about me joining and kind of taking the lead on that product. It's nice. And cool. how that goes. Yeah. Well, good luck it's like to an nice opportunity cool. right now because there's a bunch of parents stuck at home with kids. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so they really need something to entertain them. But like, especially if the kids have some sort of like developmental challenges, it's very useful to have a tool that kind of helps you do that now that you can't really access any sort of help. It's, a, it's really. an interesting uh a coincidence, one of the first apps that I worked on professionally uh, was uh, an edutainment tool, and I always mm. shiver at that word. Um, where <laughs> it's, we were, it's really awful, yeah. Where we were basically uh, <laughs> taking a, uh, a speech pathologist's method of helping kids who were slow to pick up reading and mm. uh, and basically with cards on the table progress from words like from pot we take away the P and we put away, uh, we put on an H oh. and now the word is hot. Oh, mm. cool. Oh, um, yeah. I remember nice. it very clearly because the, uh, the speech pathologist was computer illiterate and I had to learn <laughs> in my first job how to translate tech to, uh, uh, to non-tech. Non and it was, mm. it was, uh, uh, at times it was like, okay, so we've been spending times on the algorithm to progress between words in this stacked list. And she'd look at us and go, okay, where's the talking squirrel? <laughs> <laughs> so we spent about so a week. Where was the talking squirrel? So we spent about yeah. a week just doing uh, a talking squirrel. And, and I'd uh, done uh, theater and television in my undergraduate. Okay. So I was able to actually do an animation, what's called a dope sheet, which is where you just animate different mouth forms to different vowels. Oh, okay. That's we recorded cool. somebody with a, a little chipper voice saying, so let's move the T to the P. And then we animated this little thing's oh, mouth. Awesome. And, uh, and she was like, so that's cute. my talking squirrel. I'll go away for six months. You can keep coding. <laughs> yes. I think you got this. I see the talking squirrel. I think you got everything else. Uh, nice. How did it do, uh, the app? I left the product, uh, the project about 60% of the way through because at that mm. time I was working for a university that was playing, paying me university wages in the late 90s. Mm. And I got hired on, on the West Coast for a commercial company. Mm. Okay. Which paid me university wages for the East Coast, and it was really not fun. Mm, interesting. But anyway, you have worked with Swift UI. I have, yes. And you have you have gone through its growing pains. I have indeed gone through its growing pains, yes. So can you talk a bit about the project that you took on? Yeah, absolutely. Um so, 
I guess soon after June, after Apple released Swift UI, um, Ray kind of did a call for, hey guys, who's interested in doing like an app for for the Ray Vanderlich website, basically. Um, and since I've been doing my master's and it's very um, kind of like hands-on and kind of removed from iOS development, I thought it would be a nice opportunity to get back into it, especially because it seemed like um, they were kind of keen on trying out Swift UI as trying to be on the bleeding edge of everything. <laughs> um, so we had an initial call and we kind of like talked about some um drawbacks some potential opportunities that we could see here we had this like grand vision of like okay cool we're gonna do this in swift ui it looks amazing like we're gonna like document the whole path through like from the design because i was also helping a little bit on like the design um with luke the main designer of the app so i knew about the app and how it was going to look like and like kind of uh behave beforehand actually um and so the plan was to just create like this amazing course of how to create an app for production, basically, and then also have that app in production with the designs and with everything that goes with it um, on GitHub by like the end of September. By the that end of September. Of the so yeah. now and, Switch yeah, UI, app, Switch no. UI released in September. <laughs> Yes, yes, officially. It <laughs> and, went in September. That was the that was the point. We're like, we're gonna be the first app on the App Store with SwiftUI when it launches. Now, as we um, we are, we are aware, SwiftUI, in a polite term, was not completely baked when it was first released to us at WWDC, and went through changes that yes. affected you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Swift UI went through many, many changes throughout in the, in the time between June and September. Um, I, yeah, it has, it changed significantly. I still, I was looking before this um, podcast, I was looking at my notes for um, a talk that I did in um, New York for Try Swift. Um, I'm looking at some of the screenshots of the slides, and there's a screenshot of Xcode just being like, a thousand plus errors like <laughs> at an update of swift ui because the thing was like you you had to work with a beta of catalina you had to work with a beta of xcode and you had to work with like oh swift UI. so you had like three problems uh, <laughs> happening that were like unstable i, I feel itchy like, just hearing about yeah, that no no you know i was like i was like this is fine. This is fine. We're going to deal with this. But then, why why like, am I like, seeing the little dog with the, the, the coffee mug in the room that's yeah. on fire. fire? This is fine. Yes. That's that's how I felt for most of the summer. I was like, it's fine. Right? Um, but yeah, with every update, it was just like errors. And you were like, oh my God, what happened? And like sometimes it was that Apple would just like like just decide to use a d different word for something that they were doing. They do that right? a lot. Were they was because the, I didn't really follow Swift UI. I mean, I played with it at WWDC, but I yeah. was in the middle of doing my own app that had to support eleven and twelve. Yeah. So I was like, <laughs> "This is thirteen. I'll get to it. I'll yeah. play with it, and it's kind of nifty. And I don't understand some of this because I hadn't done any reactive programming. So I was playing with Swift UI and. Mm -hmm. I knew that it was going to change. Did the release notes 
for each iteration actually give you any hints, or were the release notes fairly incomplete? Um, the the release notes were actually probably the best way to see what th things change. Um, because the actual documentation very rarely contained anything. Um, <laughs> like, Stop. Was, End I, sentence. I, 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 I was going to say accurate information, but I was like, no, actually, it wasn't like accurate or inaccurate. It was just blank in most cases. So, um, so it, it was quite difficult, but I think that that helped them a lot because they didn't need to, you know, mm. update the information, yeah. documentation yeah. with every release. Like, for example, this was, um, I think at first they made this, so Swift UI works with Combine um, seamlessly, let's say. <laughs> um, and um, the way that you kind of make that work is that you can form this, like, combine class that, like, deals with data stuff. Um, to something called observable objects and initially this was called bindable objects and um, they just like flipped it and I don't think that change was necessarily noted it was just like in Xcode it was just like <laughs> nothing conforms to this protocol mm, anymore and you're yeah. like what did I do to not conform to this protocol and you're like oh my god I don't know and it doesn't have that nice feature most of the time where you can just be like you know we have the red thing with the dot and you can just be like fix like no <laughs> that, right that there's no fix it button there because exactly. the fix it button basically says you have incomplete syntax <laughs> would you care to, to yeah it doesn't say you've used the wrong syntax that we don't use yeah. anymore because we've gotten that out of the system yes mm. the fix it button is like come back to this in three months so how <laughs> how useful is the servant how yeah. useful are the wwc videos going to be with everything having changed so i think like the core philosophy of the videos before they get into actual code are still pretty useful but the the actual code of the video like the actual code that you can download got obsolete fairly quickly and at this point where we are now i i actually just talked to sam davis who um took over the like final stretches of making the app mm -hmm. um the raven on the job uh, yesterday, and yeah, he was telling me that basically the Swift UI, the Swift UI videos from WWDC from last year are kind of just completely garbage. Even though that's like the only documentation <laughs> that Apple that Apple actually gives you about how this works. So I think like the philosophy around what it means to kind of work within the declarative framework versus an imperative framework is still there. Um, but I guess that's not the part that was really that new. Or like that's that's been explored and that's been kind of explained through other frameworks. Um, but it like like the beginnings before you get into the nitty gritty of the code are I think are still valuable to look at for people who aren't used to this. Like the philosophy that they that goes behind it that yeah. still has some value, but yeah. the details yeah, maybe exactly. not so the much. The implementation is like meh. I see. see. That makes sense. I think one of the things that, that slowed me down from adopting Swift UI after WWDC was going to the sessions and everything was delivered in boxes. And what I mean by that is the Swift UI talked about Swift UI, but not necessarily how to connect it to anything else. And <laughs> yeah. Combine was the same way. And I, I've talked about this on those shows that the Combine videos and the Combine sessions were all about Combine, but not necessarily how to connect it to anything else. Yeah, absolutely. That that was definitely one of the struggles 
because a lot of the examples that they gave were extremely simplistic like they have this beautiful like tutorial like they they came up with a lot of like really well done tutorials on like apple.com for people to learn and they have great visualizations and they have lots of code um and they show you like how to make table views and everything is perfect and great and you see that and you're like amazing um <laughs> but like once you kind of have to go beyond this like toy app of data flow basically uh it gets quite tricky and the examples that they were giving us seemed like they weren't really following the correct conventions that they uh. set forth where they were like basically the idea in this is that you have this unidirectional data flow where like the parent owns the state and the main like bits of data and then mm. it, like trickles down and then the children kind of change their something state and then like that propagates up there but like they never like actually manipulate the data itself it's just like they communicate the change back whereas like imagine this was for example in one of the tutorials that just like confused me to no end was that you had a table view and the table view obviously like had the data of the, all the cells and then once you clicked on the cell it displayed like that item for the cell but then once you did something on that cell it was supposed to like tell back to the parent what was going on and but the thing was that it also had to send its index backwards mm. so it needed to like know what it was in order to like tell the uh. parent what to change and that just seems completely unintuitive because there was no way to like with table views and lists like to propagate these changes and connect them properly together so you had to connect them through these like neanderthal means of like passing down <laughs> indices of things it's like what why am i doing this this is not okay <laughs> like i should not know the fact that i am row number three i should just know that i am row right um mm. so it was like kind of like okay you're giving me this example but like even in this simple example you have to resort to some weird means of communicating between these states like how am i actually going to do that in a more complicated example where i need this like data object to be like between multiple view controllers or like multiple views i guess um displaying in other like lots of things are making changes to it so like how does this work at scale was definitely an unresolved question that i think is still not really resolved well because i think people are trying out different possibilities and versions but you know it it's it's like you feel like you can accomplish what you need to accomplish but it like there's like a feeling of there seems to be something wrong with this like mm -hmm. it feels like you're still there's, doing some sort of hacks yeah like like work. some piece is missing between everything yeah. like there's some something <laughs> should be here that's not there yeah exactly that's how all of android <laughs> development feels all the time well yeah we've talked about this on some of the android shows with the technologies one of the things that they really didn't talk about was the design patterns that work best with swift ui i they mm -hmm. obviously the phrase source of truth was thrown around countlessly <laughs> yeah um but that doesn't necessarily say well how does this connect to a model how does this connect mm -hmm. since this seems to almost become a controllerless world yeah absolutely and it's like oddly veering towards singletons as like how you're supposed to do things even though that was something to be avoided <laughs> of We're before back. yeah i know it's like 
there's like some parts are going backwards, some parts are going forwards. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the, the UI part of Swift UI is incredible and amazing and it's like so snappy and like <laughs> love it and like that was that was so good. Like it's yeah, I really enjoyed that part. But when you had to like deal with the data flow, I it was it was confusing. Um in order to like it was confusing how to best make it work so that it's still manageable for you as a developer, but also that it actually works. <laughs> all of the things. Manageable um, and works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful code. It doesn't work, but it's beautiful code. Yeah. Oh, it does. oh, this doesn't compile. <laughs> but I left it in a pristine state. So <laughs> Exactly. So you talked about the UI and when you were doing Swift UI UI that it was uh, that beautiful Apple word, <laughs> snappy. Um, yes. <laughs> did you wind up making any custom controls? Because I know that at the core of Swift UI is let's make, you know, here are all our, our squares and triangles and lines, and you don't need Bezier yeah, yeah. curves. Yeah, I we definitely, like, ended up making a couple of custom controls. One of the things that I was questioning initially because there was not that much precedent at the time since like we were all flying blind when we started. Um, I think there's a lot more resources in this now, but it was like, how do you create reusable things in this world of everything being connected and bound to each other? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you properly bind things but also make more of the same thing? So like if you have a checkbox or like a button, um, how, how will you make a, a reusable component? Because that's like one of the Thing that you do in UI kit and some of the for example some of the like not view controllers but views uh if you just you could just write them like very purely with no custom things um but then they would end up being like insane spaghetti code yeah. because you apply so many modifiers to these structs of yeah, views the modifiers. that yeah it just gets it gets a little unruly if you're trying to create something um if complex, so you really like need to be careful to abstract uh, certain parts, like abstract a lot of the parts into their own views or structs or like classes. Um, and sometimes the better way is to do like a whole struct view as a not not a class, but like as a separate file, I guess. Um, and sometimes it's better as a view modifier. So like maybe you just want to apply a certain styling to a font or um, I mean mm. like a piece of text. Uh, or a button or something like that. Um, so we ended up using a lot of um, like a lot of um, separate structs with like enum driven. Um, Interesting. Kind of, yeah, um, styling for like buttons. I know there was like error buttons and like active buttons and mm. primary buttons, secondary buttons, and stuff like that. Um, so I think those were all like kind of custom structs with. Um, a bunch of enum definitions, but for um, some layout things or text, uh, there were a lot of view modifiers. Um, and yeah, a lot of things were also kind of missing from <laughs> the UI library. Um, so you kind of had to recreate them. For example, this was a really silly one, but um, like you could have, you didn't have a search bar, right? And that's fine because you could like replace it with a text field. But then when you're normally interacting with the search bar, you can like have the little X button that 
it like clears out the field. So there was no way to have this X button happen in this text field, right? And so basically we ended up writing a view modifier that would just add this button on top of a text field. Interesting. Which is kind of like a weird way to think quirky. about this. <laughs> yeah, it's quirky for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess you'd expect that if Swift UI was up to par with Swift uh, with UI Kit, yeah. that they would have one to one represented those. Yeah, they would have all the components. Yeah. You think about how long it took for UI Kit to evolve to where it is now, and like how are how are they going to get there so quickly with Swift UI? It feels like it'll take them time to build up the the repository of different views exactly. and widgets. Well, one of the things that we always talk about with a uh, with younger teams uh, is don't try to replicate the system UI elements, because yeah. if the system changes those UI elements in a new rev of the software, yeah. you won't have your elements update, so they'll look completely different. And as a result, you know, you, yes, you can have your Swift UI app living in its own world, but it's still going to feel slightly different. It was, a uh, was it OS... Was it seven when they pulled skeuomorphism yeah. out entirely? Yeah. And the yeah, entire flat. the entire yeah. iOS UI world changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. I remember doing rewrites around that and finding this Frankenstein app that had half of its stuff flat now and half of it at all this elevation and texture. Ah, yeah, I think I came into like iOS eleven right at that transition into flat UI, so I didn't mm. have to deal with that. Um, <laughs> And after, like, Arc was a thing. So, but did you me, have to go through the Swift 2 to Swift 3 transition? I, I did. And Swift wasn't, Swift didn't exist yet when I started. So I still, like, learned basically Objective-C. I was actually at WWDC when they announced Swift. And um, I was so mad. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. I finally learned this Objective-C crap. And with all the apps and like, you know, brackets and stuff, and I get it. And now you're pulling their bug <laughs> under my feet and giving me Swift UI. Screw you, Apple. <laughs> I was like, this is not okay. <laughs> anyway. But I mean, I, 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 I was on Objective C since the introduction of OS X. Yeah. And and I went through those 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 uh, learning bumps with that language because it wasn't <laughs> really something that made sense unless you really got into it. Mm. But I was I mean, I, I wasn't thrilled that they introduced the new language. But once I started using Swift, I converted over to it. And now I find Objective-C a pain in the butt that I can't remember when to put a semicolon. <laughs> yeah, in. yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. I like very soon after Swift was like actually stable and released, I was like on board with it. Um, and like I pushed for when I started working at Renter Runway, like the app was entirely Objective C. And then mm-hmm. I was like two months in, I was like, hello, boss. <laughs> how about we do these new things that we have to do in Swift and see how that goes? And it was a bit of a pain in the butt because, you know, the, there was like that whole bridging issue that wasn't really clear oh, yeah. at that point yet. This was like 2015. Um, way back but, when. Or back in the old days. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
yeah, but like ultimately, you know, I think by the time I left, we had about like 80% of the app in Swift. Well, I mean, yeah, and, and it wasn't until this past year that you really could put everything in Swift because there was the, mm. uh, as I always talk about the stable ABIs, having the the binary interface, the binary libraries, once that got stabilized, now you could do your own frameworks. You mentioned using modifiers to build up some of those like custom views. I played around with SwiftUI really briefly, and one thing that I found kind of confusing was, like, if I did dot padding some number, dot padding another another number, dot padding yeah. again, what what is that? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so did you ever did you ever run into any issues with that, like, with not being sure what state you were in or what order modifiers had gone in or anything like oh, that? Yeah. It took me a while to actually understand that, like, the order does matter. Mm. And I was like, I was just, like, doing it, you know, not really thinking about it because that's how, you know, all the documentations were done. And then at some point, like, things weren't working. I was like, why? So I was like, okay, time to, like, dig deep into this. And, yeah, it's kind of weird, but um, each modifier basically creates a new object of the struct. So whatever you apply to it is, like, a new thing. So you can apply as many paddings as you want to like in sequence and it's going to change things and you can like change the background at the point of the padding which is a different view and then you have another view and another view so it's like you really you kind of need to think about how like the order in which you mm -hmm. apply the modifiers because sometimes actually like some modifiers won't be able to be applied to something that's let's say like a text field because you've changed it to like a normal view or you've changed it uh. to something else like an image um through one of the modifiers so then you have to be like ah at this point you're still an image <laughs> so here i can like apply some filters to you but now you're something else um so it's like it's not it's definitely not like an intuitive way to think about ui because you're like this is a image or like this is a button but like actually <laughs> at the end it's no longer a button um it's like a t totally different thing so it's like it takes it takes a little while to get used to that so you you talked about looking at the code and, and saying you wound up with frankenstein code because you weren't sure of all the things that you'd put together what would you say was like the most bizarre thing you had to do to make the app work <laughs> Uh, just just one of them. Well, okay. This is actually, like, I think one of the most bizarre, just because it was, su it seemed like such a simple thing to, like, do conceptually, but it took me, I think, like, a month to figure out how to do it well, um, was to implement, like, callbacks on check marks uh in this like filtering control because you couldn't which is what i was talking about before like propagating changes and having reusable components um there was no way to like communicate back and forth uh between like this library view and this filtering view and also have because this filtering view relied on like you tapping on this check mark and basically you were going to use this check mark in some other parts of the app so as a check mark, you should be like on or off, right? And it shouldn't matter exactly what you're toggling on or off as long as we know that you're on or off. But once you put those in a list, they kind of get decoupled from the data that they are bound to. So in like I tried out a whole bunch of like different ways of binding things together. And in the end, we ended up using callbacks um, like you would... Um, 
in UI kits sometimes right now instead of like using a delegate t- because there was just no way to <laughs> make these check marks oh, yeah. work in multiple screens even mm-hmm. though they were the same <laughs> component i mean even like they looked the same later we could have done like multiple of these check marks that were the same but like through um, and uh, reacting with different objects or we could like go with callback. So we decided to do that because we figured that this would probably be an issue that was going to be addressed at some point because there's no way that like you'll, you're, you're just going to lose the trace of binding between like a table of used data and it's um, kind of children. But it is kind of a tricky one because a table like a table of used data source or I guess a list's data source does update so like what exactly is bound and do the bound things update so it's for sure a tricky question (laughs) to answer but there needs to be a better solution than just kind of like well you know you everyone needs to know about itself and backwards again so i think that was the weirdest thing one one thing that is now biting us (laughs) um is the fact that there were a whole bunch of like little tiny hacks that we had to do like (laughs) how to color like some things were so so simple um like just setting up a table view or like a fake collection view technically it's a scroll view that just like scrolls uh horizontally but some things were really hard like extending the color of the background throughout the whole screen for example or like background colors of table views or like really silly things like that or like if the big titles will turn into small titles um like that was actually like a view modifier issue where like you had to do it in a specific sequence in order to get (laughs) the title to become smaller because at some point you didn't consider it a title of a screen anymore um but (laughs) yeah but some of the some of the little hacks that we did like um in ui kit code we like globally changed background colors for table views or like separator colors for example and change like insets um of the ui and now in ios 13.4 these things have been fixed the way they were supposed to be <laughs> so it's breaking <laughs> so you're like eh. never leverage um, a bug so, never never you know, leverage a bug yeah <laughs> um so yeah it was it was yeah it was an interesting path of like knowing what's a bug what's a feature how it's supposed to work and now i think is the time where we're actually learning how things were meant to be and they're starting to make more sense <laughs> so i know with swift ui you can cheat and that cheat mm-hmm. being you can use ui kit yes <laughs> did you wind up falling back on ui kit for anything Yes, we did. Um, for two things. Um, one was the UI activity indicator um, because it was really easy to kind of just like wrap it um, <laughs> in a representable object and mm-hmm. put it on and like have it spin. And like making animations work in Swift UI was not something <laughs> you really wanted to do. Um, and the other thing was um, the video controller mm. um, because we wanted to use the built-in um, video player, basically, and there was no real options to like have playback controls unless we wanted to roll our own. And even in that case, we would have had to like fall back to um, some of the like 
um, mechanisms that we could get to in UIKit. Um, so that like player view controller is entirely in UIKit. That was some fantastic information, Leah. Thank you so much. Um, Drew, I heard that you had some interesting feelings about Dark Sky, and I'd love to hear about them. I really haven't personally dealt with the loss of anything severely. Um, I, I guess Test Flight was one of the ones that I had used that got bought by Apple. And the latest thing that Apple has picked up is an API set called Dark Sky. And Dark Sky is an interface into weather information. You basically call Dark Sky and you get an amazing JSON block of data that includes humidity, pressure, temperature, um, seven-day forecasts, etc. And I use Dark Sky very actively in the app that I released this past year. Uh, and you get that letter that says, hi, we're joining the Apple family. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and you, and they then go on to say, well, don't worry. The, the Dark Sky API will continue to be there through the end of 2021. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, oh, so I should worry. <laughs> and yeah, it, it really means that, that, well, there's definitely going to be an update to my app. And what do I do? And hopefully at WWDC 2020, virtual, they will, <laughs> they will. I love uh, that word. I huh? love that. Just, <laughs> well, I've been, I've been to 16 WWDCs in my career. Wow. Yeah. And, I, and I'm, and I'm only 22. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I like that. Uh, but, you know, I, I hope that they'll announce something this year, but I think it's too soon for them to, uh, because this information from Dark Sky came out maybe a month ago. Mm. Now, yeah, probably a lot of stuff has been set up in the in the meantime, and there was all that negotiation and business and all of that. But usually, you get that announcement when they're basically when the deal is done, not necessarily when the incorporation of the technology has occurred. I mean, yeah. a large company adopts a technology in about two, two and a half years. So is 2021 soon enough for me to have an API from Apple? And really, would Apple get into that kind of service? Yeah. Would you, do, yeah do, do you think they'll actually offer the API? I mean, yeah. I, I suppose I suppose there could be weather kit next to location kit. <laughs> yeah, I That's guess. True. I guess so. But it just seems to be getting further away. I mean, maybe they're trying to actually reach the clouds. Maybe that's what their cloud strategy. Whole, whole new meeting to cloud computation. Your phone just makes a little cloud around it. It's the ultimate in privacy. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I think that's a good place to say. Like, I really, I really want to thank you for being on the show this week. It's uh, it's just been a pleasure speaking with you on on this. Uh, I, we often are diving into the hard tech, but this is wonderful to be able to to take a step back and say, well, what's the implementation like? And I really want to thank you. Absolutely, yeah. It's been a pleasure to talk about this. It's been a while since I um, was actually like deep into this like I ran a workshop right after I was doing the app and like I did the keynote speaking and like I was really into it and I was both like really like passionate on what is bad and what is not bad and like now taking like having taken a bit of a break from um, SwiftUI it's 
kind of nice to look back on it and see how it's evolved since and like how yeah how like you have more perspective now and i have more perspective and i'm very excited about swift ui it is it has been an absolute pleasure and i i'm probably still not going to dive into swift ui until after this year's <laughs> this Good year's idea. uh con <laughs> leia can be found online at twitter at hello sunshine that's h-e-l-l-o S-U-N-S-C-H-E-I-N? Correct. I got that one right. Alex <laughs> and I can be found on Twitter sometimes. Alex, Alex Sullivan, 444. I am Podcast Drew, D-R-U. Our next episode, we flip back to the Android world. We're going to have Victoria Gonda on to talk about test-driven development on the Android. And then the show two weeks after that, we go back to iOS, we'll have Andy Pereira on, and we're going to talk about that magical catalyst technology that lets you throw iOS onto the Mac. Sometimes. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. We will be back again in two weeks. In the meantime, we send it back to the Emerald Castle. Ray, back to you. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWendelk.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.